You're listening to audio from Kingsway Christian Church. If you'd like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, please visit kingswaychurch.org. Good morning. Let me ask you a quick question. Uh, Who are you living your life to please? So I don't know if any of you love (laughs) Chick-fil-A. Right, like dumb question. Like anybody who loves Jesus loves (laughs) Chick-fil-A. But if you notice, when you go to every single Chick-fil-A, you get the same question or same response every time, which is what? My pleasure. Now, I've had this ongoing survey that I'm doing where every time they tell me, especially if I'm at a new Chick-fil-A that I've never been to, and so I'm not hearing it from the same person, I ask them, now, do they teach you to say that? So far, my number is up to something like 15 no's and three yeses. I just got one not too long ago in southern Indiana. I was going through, and my wife and I were looking at this massive line. It is massive. And we're going, why in the world would we get in there? And I looked at her as if to say, are you crazy, woman? You know why we're getting in that line. It's called Chick-fil-A. We get in the line. It takes virtually no time at all to get to the window because they have this thing down to an art, and they keep saying, my pleasure, my pleasure, my pleasure. I finally stop one of them and say, do they teach you to say that? And they said, yes, I'm pretty new here. I said, how do they teach you? They said, well, it's not a formal class. It's just that everybody's saying it, and they say, this is how we treat our people. And I thought, this is so cool. What is it like when you know who you're living your life to please. Now, here's the thing. As a recovering people pleaser, <laughs> I have spent too much of my life living to please lots and lots of people, and it's so hard to do. You know exactly what I'm talking about, don't you? Go ahead and raise your hand if you're a people pleaser, and only the people pleasers just raise their hands. <laughs> Busted. Now, in all seriousness, in all seriousness, when you know who it is you're living your life for, then it makes it easier to make life's decisions. The book of Galatians, we're going to open today, and we're just going to get into chapter one and dig into what's going on. And the reason I think it's relevant is because the themes of Galatians are just as prevalent in America today. Even though they're different, different town, different people, different issues, the big picture stuff is still the exact same. And instead of starting in chapter 1, verse 1, we're going to try to go through this pretty much sequentially. I want to start you in the middle of chapter 1 because I believe it sets up the rest of chapter 1. And we're going to go right to Paul talking about who it is he's living his life to please. Here we go. Galatians chapter 1, verse 10. Paul says this, am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. I want you to think for just a moment and look at your own life and ask yourself simply, are you making life's decisions out of a desire to please God or are you making life's decisions out of a desire to keep someone else happy in your life? Because if you were to make a different set of decisions, it would change everything. I was at a camp a couple weeks ago. 140 high schoolers, and these aren't my kids. Like, they aren't from uh, this church, so I don't know their families, and I don't know their baggage, and I don't know their issues. 
And so I'm preaching a couple sermons and I convicted some people to the core. And in those free moments where I'm sitting around the camp and some high school kids are coming up to me and some of them are seniors in high school and they're trying to make their future decisions. And some of them are the leaders of the camp and people are wrestling. There was real struggle going on just like there is in this place. And one girl graduating high school comes up to me and she's telling me about some of the hardships and her family divorcing. And she's telling me about um, her dad being suicidal. And she went to ask for wisdom from somebody else and that somebody else told her that she needed to continue to live in her dad's home even though it's a toxic environment because if she didn't her dad would kill her himself and it would be her fault I told her I'm going to assume what the person meant is she would feel like it would be her fault not that it would actually be her fault but she was living Don't miss this. To try to please God. Because she looked at me and she said, help me understand, Pastor. If I don't do this, am I failing God? She was willing to stay in a toxic environment with an unhealthy person because she wanted to please God. Now, I don't have a passage of the Bible that says, when your parents divorce and your dad is suicidal and it's a very unhealthy and toxic situation that is probably somewhat dangerous for you, you ought to stay in the home. I don't have a verse for that. You know what I have? I have some principles to guide us along. And the first principle, the foundational principle of it all, is to understand who God is. Because when I rightly understand who God is, then even when the scriptures are not clear, do this or don't do that, live this way or don't live that way, then I can apply God to my life in such a way that allows me to go, this is the God-honoring, the Christ-honoring thing. This is the way I should walk, the thing that I should do. Now, you've got a situation in your life, right? A spouse, a boss, a friend, a neighbor, a coworker, a parent, a child. You've got a situation in your life. And you're trying to figure out, what do I do right now with what I'm facing? And Paul wants to make crystal, crystal clear to you the very most foundational thing we all must do is we all must live our lives to please God and God alone. So whatever you're facing right now, anchor that one first I must please God and God alone. Now, the rest of this is me helping you understand what that means as Paul's applying it to the church in Galatia. Let's take a look. Galatians chapter one now, verse one. Paul, an apostle, sent not from men nor by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead and all the brothers and sisters with me to the churches in Galatia. Now, a few things to note. This is written by Paul. Paul's original name was not Paul, but it was Saul. We'll get to that in a minute. He changed his name. Saul means something like big, and Paul means something like little. And it's interesting that he changed his name from big to little with just one little word, letter, I mean, for the word. But the reason it's significant is when Paul understood who he was in relation to God, he realized that God is first and everything else is second. So he started to live his life in that order. Whatever God wants is most important. He's big, I'm little. I think there's a VeggieTales song like that, right? It was written for me. But anyway, Sent not from men, but from Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead. Paul is certain of his identity, and his identity is found in Jesus Christ, whom God raised from the dead. 
Paul knows who he is because he can look at Jesus and say, who was Jesus? And now Jesus, in his resurrection, when I put my faith in him, I take on his identity in me. The reason we do baptism the way we do at Kingsway, where we go down into the water, it doesn't matter if you go backwards or go dip down or we can take you forward, though you're probably gonna get more water in your face, but whatever, we could do it any way we want. The reason we go down into the water is simply because the water pictures a grave. You are uniting with Christ in his death, his burial, and his resurrection. And the old you is gone, and the new you has come to life. So when you come up out of that waters, there's a you that's been born again, raised anew. Life is here. The old has passed. You were big. Now you're small. But you have a new identity that's based on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's everything. But Paul is writing this letter to the church in Galatia. And who are the churches in Galatia? Well, we'll get to that. There's actually three main characters you have to understand in the book. First main character is God himself. This is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. This is not a sermon on the Trinity, but you will see the presence of Father, Son, Holy Spirit throughout the book. You've already seen two of them present already in those verses I just read you. I think it was verse one and verse two, where it says, God the Father rose Jesus the Son from the dead, Jesus Christ from the dead. And the point is, God says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord thy God, the Lord is one. So love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And the whole idea here is God is one. He is a triune God. You can't look at God and say them or they. God is God. But we know that there are three in what we call the Godhead. It is a mystery, but it's a reality. So God is present throughout the book, and Paul's identity comes from who God says he is, which leads us to the second character, and that's Paul himself. And Paul goes from being somebody who's absolutely lost to somebody who is sent. If you remember in verse 1, Paul says an apostle, a sent one. There are two different real types of apostles. And there are none like Paul in existence today. Because in the New Testament, somebody who's an apostle is somebody who saw the resurrected Jesus and was sent by the resurrected Jesus out into the nations to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. But here's the irony. By the time Paul... I'm just going to keep calling him Paul, shows up on the scene. Jesus has already died on the cross, rose from the dead, and gone up into heaven. And so all we have left is Paul, and how in the world could he meet a resurrected Jesus? And so what we see is this guy, at that time, his name was Saul, and he hated Christians. And the reason he hated him is because Saul was totally sold out to God. I mean, he was more kosher than a dill pickle, all right? Like this dude... I stole that from another pastor, so if you don't like it, <laughs> form the email onto him. And he as, is as jihad as you've ever seen. He's going around having laws passed in order to have Christians arrested, imprisoned, and even killed if it should come to that. And on this journey, on his way to Damascus, Jesus shines a light from heaven. And I know it sounds crazy, but this is what the Bible tells us happens. And it stops him <clears throat> in his tracks. He literally falls to the ground. And the voice from heaven says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? To which you know in his heart, <clears throat> he has to be thinking, oh no, please don't be Jesus. Please don't be Jesus. Please don't be Jesus. 
And some of you know exactly what that's like, right? When Jesus starts to convict you and you're like, just be a song on the radio. Just be the pastor preaching. Be anything but Jesus. But nevertheless, Saul hears the voice. He says, who are you, Lord? And he says, it's Jesus. Now listen, when Saul met Jesus, it changed him. It floored him. Saul's entire life was bent on a mission. He thought, he was convinced, he's going the right way. He's doing the right things. But then on that road, everything started to change. Saul didn't eat for three days. I don't know about you. Have you ever had life so stressful that you couldn't eat? Saul's entire world is being flipped upside down. I was headed towards A. Right now, God's heading me to, telling me to head towards B. And it's not a small shift. It's a completely radical, different direction than where I was going. And I don't know what that means. And God, go, God goes to a guy and says, I'm going to have you go to Saul and preach the gospel about Jesus Christ. Go and tell him what's going on. Now, this guy is on Saul's list of people to imprison. He's a leader in the church in the town where Saul's heading to arrest Christians. And this guy says, no way. Do you know who that guy is? And Jesus says, yes, but I have plans for him. So Saul saw the resurrected Jesus in a moment. He didn't eat for three days, but he got up. And when the man preached to him, he got baptized. And now he lives the rest of his life for the glory of God. But as you can imagine, this wasn't easy. I mean, at first, nobody trusts Saul. While in his heart, he's different. He's sold out to a brand new principle. Things aren't radically different yet. It took time for the churches to trust him. And it actually took other people, a guy named Barnabas, coming alongside him to tell other people, he's the real deal. I've spent time with him. I've seen the change. You need to trust him. Well, that didn't happen easy, though. So Saul and Barnabas go out and they start around uh, the Mediterranean area and they end up north of Turkey in an area known as Galatia and they plant some churches there together and they start the gospel in these different places and then they travel on their way back through and they chill out for a while until God sends them on a new journey. But that's the second major character you have to understand who's present in his story in the book. Because in Saul's mind, he is living every day under threat of murder. So now the same people that he was with that were trying to arrest and kill Christians, now that he's a Christian, they're trying to arrest and kill him. But once he realized who Jesus was, he wasn't concerned about living his life to please others. This is hard for us to understand in America that there are actually parts of the world where you can be persecuted for your faith. I mean, in America, look, there is persecution for Christians, but I mean, the vast majority of what we deal with, the vast majority, not all of it. I mean, you hear about guns showing up at churches and stuff, but the vast majority of it is like name calling, and Facebook slandering, being teased or mocked, stuff on TV that you don't have to watch. I mean, reality is, it's not that bad. 
When one of our Timothys and a friend of mine, Steve Bolin, went over to India to visit our missionaries over there, and he was preaching, and uh, when he was preaching, he, he asked at some point in his messages, I wasn't there, but he asked at some point, how many of you have either faced the threat of persecution or actually in some way been directly persecuted for your faith? And he said, almost every single hand went up. And then he started to press a little deeper to what that meant. Some of them have actually been attacked physically. Some of them have been arrested. Some of them have had death threats on their life. And he, he said, I started to cry and realize I have no idea, no idea what others are going through. There's no guilt or shame. Praise God. We're celebrating July 4th, amen? And we live in a fantastic country. Praise God. But it's real. And for Saul, it was real. But he was living his life to please God. That's why we pick up Galatians chapter 1, verse 13. He said, for you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. But when God, who set me apart from my mother's womb and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles, my immediate response was not to consult any human being. The reason that Saul, Paul now, puts that little piece in there about not consulting any human being is Paul wants to know that the authority for his teaching doesn't come from reasoning and rationale. The authority for his preaching comes directly from God himself. When Jesus spoke to him, and Jesus led him, and Jesus taught him, that is where his authority comes from. The reason that I trust the Bible, the reason that I listen to the Bible, for those of you who are wondering about, can we even trust it today? The reason that I look to it for the authority of my life is because I believe that the scriptures are true when it says that the Holy Spirit wrote through men like Paul and they wrote the words down that God said directly to them. Now, there may be apostolic type leaders today, men who just have a great gift for leadership and lead lots and lots of people. Uh, maybe men like Andy Stanley, just giving you an example of somebody who's poured their life out and led lots and lots of people. Yes, there are men who have that style of gift, but that is not the same as God calling a specific person and revealing to them through the Holy Spirit the things to write down that are the words of God for the church. And Paul's saying to the church, I was not a good man when I came to or before I came to you, but Jesus changed me. By the grace of God. Listen, I don't know your story or where you're from or what you're dealing with or who you're trying to please. But could it be that the grace of God intends to change you also? It was for the church in Galatia. So the third group that I gotta say about real quick is the church in Galatia. The church in Galatia, uh, and again, we're not talking one church in one location. We're talking many churches throughout what's called the province of Galatia. There's this large swath of, swath of area, and they would have started many churches. Most of the churches would have met in people's homes, and they would have spread over time, and their homes weren't nearly as big as your home or my home. So it was a small gathering of people, then they started another one, then another one, then another one, then another one, and it would spread all over the region. And Paul wrote this letter to all of them, because what's going on in the church of Galatia is after Paul and Barnabas leave, what's coming in behind them is a new set of preachers, and they're proclaiming a different gospel than the one that Paul received and gave to them. 
Because what's happening, and the phrase we use is the Judaizers. What's happening is these people are coming in after Paul and saying, it's okay for you to be a Christian as long as you're a good Jewish person first. So, you need to get circumcised. Yeah, I know, you could be a 35-year-old male coming to faith in Jesus, you need to go do this. And it made a lot of people go, see, I'm not so sure about this Jesus guy anymore. You know what? You can worship the resurrection on Sunday. That's fine. As long as you're at Sabbath on Saturday. It's okay that you gather together with your friends and have a feast, but make sure you leave out these dietary issues that the Jewish people have to obey. And oh, by the way, if you're not a great Jew first, you cannot be a Christian. And Paul is livid because somebody is destroying the work that he has done. And Paul's trying to clarify for them, no, 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 no. Jesus came to me when I was the best Jewish person you'll ever meet. Nobody obeyed the law better than me. Nobody practiced it more than me. And when he came to me, he came to me in grace, not in works. And he set me free. And then he says in verse six, I am astonished that you were so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. The word gospel literally just means good news. How can it be good news if you have to do more or perform more to make God happy. Some of you know this all too well. Where we are right now in American history, and by the way, this will be different in 10 or 20 years if trends continue, but where we are right now, the majority of people in America, at some point in their childhood, had an experience with God through a church and then left. Now, I don't know your story in here, but when many of those people left, they left under condemnation and judgment for all the things they weren't doing. And they were told that salvation is earned. I don't know if you guys ever heard of a guy named Sisyphus. You can Google that one later if you can spell it, right? Sisyphus was an ancient Greek myth. And Sisyphus, there's a long story, it's irrelevant except for this one point I want to make, but Sisyphus ticked off the gods, so to speak. And so his punishment for eternity was to live in Hades, and he had to push this boulder up a hill. And every time he would get the boulder to the top of the hill, it would roll back down, and he would have to start over. And he would have to do it day after day after day after day after day for eternity. And Sisyphus is a fascinating study on the way the Greek myths and what they meant for life and life lessons and all those other things. But it's fascinating because so many of us look at God the same way that Sisyphus looked at the rock. There's this punishment for you. You'll never be good enough, but you better try harder and harder and harder and harder and harder and just when you think you get the rock to the top of the hill, it's just gonna roll right back down and you better start over again. Who are you living your life for? Because when you understand 
Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross, then you understand that Jesus equals salvation. Meaning, he carried the rock all the way to the top of the hill. And all you have to do, you got to climb the hill. No, 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 no. See, that's what most of us have been told. Most of us have been told Jesus plus something else equals salvation. So all you got to do is climb the hill. All you have to do is do these steps. All you got to do is change the thing. All you got to do is stop that. All you have to do, all you have to do, all you have to do. Jesus plus nothing equals salvation. And Christians have been adding to this list for a long time. Like, not have a Facebook account, or not have too much TV or any TV, or not watch rated R movies, or not use certain four-letter words, or not dress in a certain way, or not get piercings, or not color your hair, or not get tattoos, or not, or not, or not, or not, or not, because if you're going to be a good Christian, if you're going to be any Christian, this is what you do. But the gospel, the gospel is simply this. Jesus plus nothing equals salvation. The only thing you need is Jesus. This is why Paul goes on in Galatians 1. Now we're going backwards. Verse 3, he says this. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever and ever and ever Amen. Grace and what? Peace. Let me ask the question that many of you are already thinking. Does that mean that when I become a Christian, it doesn't matter how I live? Oh, no, it matters a lot. Well, then I'm confused, Pastor. Aren't you just talking out of both sides of your mouth? No. It's all about where you put the living peace. If the way that I live in obedience to my Father comes after my salvation, not before it, then I've got the order correct. Because see, the reason Jesus came and pushed that rock up the hill and then came back down the hill to pick me up on his shoulders and carry me up the hill is because it was his finished work. And it's his finished work in me that gives me the strength and the power to live and to lead and to love and to serve and to give and to be who God has called me to be. And apart from him, it's my best efforts to carry that rock back up that hill again. And let me just tell you right now, it's exhausting. 
It's depleting. And it'll crush you. You ever try to push a big rock up a hill? The first time you slip, where's that rock going? Right on top of you. And it's a weight that you can't carry. That's why somebody told me the other day, and I think this is wise, you gotta stop letting others should on you. Get your mind out of the gutter. I said should. <laughs> it's why it's in writing for those of you watching online. You know what? You should do this and you should do that. And if you really want to, you should, you should, you should, you should. By the way, this is one of the reasons I, I took Facebook off my phone. It's not, you're like, what do you just made a post on Facebook? Yeah, I get it through my laptop. But I don't get it <laughs> 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Of constant pressure to be and to do and to have experiences. It's too much weight to carry. Who are you living your life to please? Because see, if you're living your life for someone other than God, then all of their shoulds matter a lot to you. But if you're living your life only to please God, then there's one place that we start. One place. You want to know what it is? Hebrews chapter 11, verse six. And without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. How would your life look different today, this week, if you were to just stop asking what everybody else wants of you and start asking this one question, and you gotta get the question right, what does a perfect, holy, just, righteous God who is infinitely good and kind, and patient, and compassionate, and loving, want from me. Because see, when we start with just the first part about God's justice and righteousness and holiness, we can come up with a whole list of shoulds and should nots. And when we come up with God's patience and grace and compassion and love and mercy, we realize that all of them are bathed in his grace. Which leads us to one place. Realizing that we don't have what it takes to please him on our own. None of us, none of us, especially the guy upstairs, up on stage here teaching you today, none of us, have what it takes, which is why I'm so glad that Jesus carried me up that hill. Amen. What about you? Yeah. See, I don't know where you come from. I know this. 
usually following Spring Hill and usually following the Rib Fest, there's at least a few people who join us who've never been here before. And you're tired. You're weary. And part of the reason is you're living your life to fulfill somebody else's checklist of you. And you don't know at the end of the day if you're good enough or if you measure up. Let me just tell you straight up right now, the Bible says you're not good enough, but you are deeply, deeply valued. And that's why Jesus carried it up the hill for you. The other day, um, one of my kids was having a hard time about something. He was crying, and I'm holding him, and he's breaking down, and he's sharing how he feels, ways that he feels like a failure. And I held up my iPhone, and I said, hey, buddy, do you know what this iPhone cost me? And he said, no. And his mom had a puzzled look, like, where are you going right now? <laughs> like, it's like a sermon, all right? Nobody knows where I'm going until I get there. And I said, this phone, I don't even know anymore. I maybe cost you 800 bucks. Your mommy, your grandmother and I shared it. We did a buy one, get one thing, so it was less than that. I said, but do you know why this phone has value? I said, do you know why I was willing to pay that money for that phone? And he said, no. I said, because this phone does a lot of things for me. It allows me to sometimes be at home with you and you guys are sick or whatever, and I can still do my job and work. It allows me to call people. It allows me to keep on track of things. It allows me to post things. It allows me to follow up with. It allows me to read my Bible. And I just started listing all these things. These are the things that it does for me, and that's why it's valuable to me, and I was willing to buy it. But guess what? If I drop it and break it, is it useful to me anymore? It's like, no. And I said, exactly. I would have to get a new one. I said, your value is not in what you do or how you perform. You are not a phone. If you make a mistake, something drops and breaks, you don't lose your value because do you know what your value is? Your value is Jesus Christ. And he is everything. 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 Listen, you are valuable because the one who is worth the entire universe, seen and unseen, said, you are worth dying for. Don't let anybody tell you otherwise. What we're gonna do right now is sing to the only one worthy of our praise. And as we sing to him, listen, I wanna give some of you a chance to respond. Some of you have been feeling beat down, kicked around, overwhelmed by your mistakes, your failures, your sins, whatever it may be. And I wanna call you right now to do whatever business with God you need to do. If you have never professed your faith in Jesus Christ, if you have never gone into the waters of baptism just like Paul and come out with new life alive, I wanna encourage you today to make that decision. But listen, you might be a Christian who's struggling somehow, feeling devalued by this world or by your decisions, whatever it might be, and I want today for you to know that you are dearly loved. While we sing, we're gonna have some people down here wearing connect shirts. Just find one of them and say, help me. They'll walk you through the rest. Would you guys stand and I'll pray and then we'll sing.
God, thank you for showing us our value in Jesus Christ. God, thank you for revealing to us your goodness through Jesus Christ, your son. And God, thank you for sending the Holy Spirit to come and live in us as a down payment for our salvation, for our eternity. The Holy Spirit is our strength to live in a way that pleases you. And Father, we thank you because we've been trying to do it on our own and it is exhausting. And God, my prayer specifically right now is there is somebody in this room who feels kicked around and beat down and they just need to know just how dearly loved and valuable they are. God, would you reveal that to them right now? May your spirit move in this place, stir in our hearts. God, I pray right now for the person in this room who's never professed a faith in Jesus, but the Holy Spirit's already been moving in this place and stirring in their hearts and revealing to them just how much they need Jesus. God, move, stir, draw, call, do that thing that only you can do, God. And the rest of us are just gonna sing because you alone are worthy. In Jesus' name we all pray.